Good morning, Journey Church. How's everybody doing this morning? I feeling good? Everybody okay? So glad to see you. So glad each one of you chose today to be either in this place, in our house, or maybe you're online and catching us on Facebook. Either way, we are thankful to know that you are tuning in today uh, as we kick off our new series called You Matter. And one of the things is, is realizing right now in this date and time that we live in, going back to school. Anybody excited? School starting back? That's really happy daddy right there who we all know did nothing this summer to help mom out, but he's celebrating for himself and her. And uh, we're excited about that. Here in the River Region, we have an awesome thing called Maxwell Air Force Base. And so we get to we get to welcome in a lot of new military families who plug into new jobs and new schools for their kids and new activities for the family. And can we just thank our military for what they do this morning as well? Always thankful. Yes, yes. I just want you to know, as a crowd, a little bit excited about school, really about military. I that's perfect. We appreciate that. Um, but there is. This is the time of the year when so many new things are happening that the enemy, Satan, will come to us and he will begin to scream at us. As kids go back into school, they'll hear things like, your shoes aren't good enough, you don't dress right enough, you're not playing the right sports, you're not popular, you're not wealthy, you don't look good, you know, all these different things. He'll scream at them and they will hear it. And when we go into new jobs or we go back to our old jobs or whatever it is, we begin to hear the attacks of the enemy and we don't know what the whispers are of truth, the whispers of, of the one who defines us, of what he would say. We spend so, many more, so much more of our time focused on um, what we think God says, what we think the word says, or what, and what really isn't truth. And so we begin to believe these lies. I want us to, before we jump in, I want us to answer this one question right here that we'll see pop up on the screen is that do you know your worth? Before we can really jump into understanding that you matter, we have to answer the question, do you know your worth? And by understanding our worth, I don't mean like what you are worth in your job or what you're worth maybe to your life insurance policy of whatever you've established you think you're worth. Well, the question we're asking is do we know what our worth is based on the kingdom, based on what God has said we are worth, based on what God has defined us in, in the name that he's given us? For some one or ones in the room, you, you don't know how to answer this question because in a church term, you are lost. And what that means is you're someone that hasn't been found by Jesus. It means that you're lost. That right now, if your life were to end in the next 10 seconds, because you're lost and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you would spend an eternity separated from him, separated from his Father, separated from the glory of heaven, and you would spend eternity in hell at death. But for us that are saved, that are found by Jesus, we are defined this way. You're called sons and daughters. You get to inherit the kingdom of heaven upon your death. But we have some things to accomplish while we're still left here on earth. So again, before we can know our worth, you've got to ask yourself another question. Am I known? Does God know me? Does he understand who I am? Does, it, does, does he care anything about me? And by looking at this, we're going to look at another graphic real quick. And you'll see this pop up on the screen as well. Facebook, YouTube, the Bible. Have we heard it? Anybody heard of Facebook? Oh, you're lying. And y'all are in church. Yeah, it's that thing we go to every morning as soon as we wake up. Not the weather. Not the local news. We go to Facebook. What happened in the four hours I slept that, you know, Nancy did that I got to find out? <laughs> And then we got YouTube, we all know YouTube, and we've got the Bible. And what this is showing us is that the percentage of evangelicals in the U.S. who say they use the following every day. 
What we're seeing is, is that we use Facebook and YouTube more than we use the Bible. What Lifeway is telling us right here through this statistic, and it's just a statistic, is that we really trust more about what Facebook defines who we are and where we get our truth and where we get our worth and where we get our understanding from. Or when we go to YouTube, where we get our truth and we get our understanding more than we, we discover what the Word of God has to say about who we are. And I want us, if anything, today, if you're in this room right now and you're hearing this and you go, yeah, that's, who, that's honestly, that's me. That's who I trust. When I grab my phone, when I get my computer, when I take my tablet, I'm going to Facebook more than anything else. I'm looking at its words. I'm looking at the, the fights that are going on there. I'm looking at the arguments, the debates, all the scientific stuff I'm reading on there. And I just believe everything I read because it's on Facebook. It's on the Internet. It's true, right? And then same thing with YouTube, all these opinions that we see with people because I trust it more than the Word of God. What this really is painting a picture of us is, is that we hear more from the enemy. And I'm not saying Facebook and YouTube are, are demonic. But I'm just saying, a lot of times, this isn't biblical. This is not the words that God would say to us. His truth is written down. And we live in a time right now in our world where it's, it's more convenient, and I'm using that word intentionally, convenient to find the Word of God on everything known. You can get it on your phone, your tablet, your computer. You can get a book form. They still exist. The Bible actually is still in written form in pages. They feel real good when you turn them. They make a great noise. It is at our disposal, at our convenience, and we are choosing not to use that. Before we jump into our, our passage, I want us to understand this right here is this one truth we're going to learn today. You are worth knowing. From God's perspective, you are worth knowing. If you don't understand anything else, I want to start right there with the basis of that. If, if you don't know your worth, you need to know right now, you are worth knowing. Um, and as I've shared with you a month ago, I have to read glasses now because I'm blind. Here we go. We have a lot of scripture to cover this morning. Um, and it's not my favorite way of teaching, but it is, it is what we're going to use today because we need to just almost systematically walk through scripture and see what God says about us, what his design is for us, and not what the enemy is screaming, not what we think we believe, but what is truth. And again, the only way we know truth is to open truth and be illuminated by truth. So if you would, if you want to turn in your Bible, that's great. I want you to know that we, we have searched. These are accurate, and we're going to place these on the screens. If you want to read along with us, that would be amazing. But later on, go back, discover it for yourself. Genesis 1.27 reads like this. So God created human beings in his own image. And right there, we begin to see God's design was to create you in his image. So you're worth knowing because he made something that's very similar to him. If you, if you had no mirror to see, if you lived in a time period where there was no mirror, you could look at a reflection, I mean a, a shadow, and you would be able to at least get an idea of, of what the shadow would look like to see what you would look like. So for me, if I were to turn around and look in the shadow, I'd go, it's a pair with legs. This is great. Okay, and so I would figure that out. But again, he re, it says this in Genesis, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God's telling us from the beginning, I had a specific design in mind when I was making humanity. And it was in my image. You're, you're, you're worth knowing so much that he would create you to be a reflection even of himself. And check this one out, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Men, can we celebrate the wonderful complexion of our wives? This is where we play along. <laughs> Works better. Yes. And guess what? Our wives will celebrate our wonderful complexity as well. 
It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And we see the author right here of Psalms telling us explicitly, God knew you before anybody else knew you were around. Think about that. The author does not have the science and the, and the, the Google to go and find images and pictures that we know exist now. To say, hey, even when I was first created, nobody even knew me, but you did. You built me strategically together inside. And because of this, I know that you knew me. You knew everything about me before I was born. And he is saying, before I exited the womb and drew my first breath of oxygen, God, you knew everything about me. Everything. Church, everything right now. He knows about you. It's an intimate knowing. And the very, this is Luke 12, 7. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. This is Jesus himself teaching. There's, there's thousands of people gathering to hear him teach and share incredible words of encouragement. And, and be, the Bible says they even began to trample one another. They were gathered together so much. Jesus was such a rock star. They, they couldn't wait to hear from him. So they gathered in close and people were, were trampling. He starts going, listen, you're all afraid of the Pharisees. You don't need to be afraid of them. You need to be afraid of God. Listen to him. He's the one that gives life and death. And, I say, and he even begins to say, this is how much you're worth. Every hair on your head is numbered. So from the beginning, through Jesus speaking, from the beginning that we see in Genesis till we get to Psalms, till we get to where Jesus is talking himself, God has had a plan for each one of us that he knows us and he wants you to be known by him. He wants to know you deeply. He knows us intimately and purposefully. He saw us when no one else could. And he knows everything about us. And I mean, I mean, he knows everything about us. And when we read in Scripture, when you see that term in the last passage we read, when it says, the hairs on your head are all numbered, all are numbered, it means this right here, and I'm not a big scholar, but, but I try to, okay, I'm an absolute idiot most days, but I do study but arithmetized Greek word, and it's the only time it's used in the New Testament to describe all our numbered. And it doesn't mean like one, two, three, four. It means intimately numbered. He knows every hair on our head, every hair that's ever been on us. And so for, for you that color your hair, to try to shade it from the world before they find out about your, your angel hair, that color your hair, he knows the real color it's supposed to be when you've forgotten. And I wish I could stand here and tell you I never colored my hair. There was a time. The beard was, was in, and uh, I was a little younger and stupid, and I listened to every word my wife would tell me, and she said, we should color your beard. Because it was like blonde and white and red and brown, and I mean, it was gray. It was, just, it was like patchwork. My beard was flannel. So we go in and we buy some Grecian men or just for men, hair, whatever it was, for the beard. And I think we tried to find brown. And, but, but I go in the bathroom. She paints the stuff on. And we wait a little while. And she goes in another room. And I walk out. And my beard is jet black. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Jet black. And I'm pretty sure she wet her pants and fell off the couch laughing. And I am in a full-blown panic because it's Saturday night. And I've got to be at church the next morning. So I go to the bathroom, I shave a majority of it off, and I start pouring bleach on a white rag. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this side goes, oh, this side's like, this side over here is like, you idiot. And so my face, I burned the skin on my face, getting the bleach off. It was awful. Hours, hours, hours. God even knew, Brandon, you idiot, but I know those hairs. <laughs> Intimately, I've named them. And for us in the room, or not us, not me, for you in the room that have the cul-de-sac going on, he knows the ones that have jumped off and left. They've given up. And you, for some reason, can't. And so he's like, I know those. You know, you've you got those five. You're just pulling them over as much as you can. They're the ones when the window rolls down, you're choking your kids in the back of the car. Just give them up. Cut them off. It's okay. He knows that those don't need to be there anymore. He knows them intimately, intimately like naming them. Naming your hairs intimately because that's how he knits you together. And again, Jesus is going, look, at, look, you see these birds in the air? There's a reason why when Jesus is teaching, he doesn't go, you know, you, you look around and see all these elephants running around. You see the cocker spaniels when they run down the street? No, he's like, you see the birds? There's, very, there's rare places on this earth where you can't go and find birds. They literally are everywhere. And he's saying he, he knows your, the numbers on your hair so intimately. He's named them. And you're worth more to him than any amount of sparrows that you see in the sky. You are worth a lot to him. You are worth knowing to the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, every star, every galaxy, everything, the mountains, the rivers, the oceans, you. We know more about our creation from God then we know about how anything else was built because you are worth knowing. Not only are you worth knowing, you're also worth this. You are worth forgiving. You're worth forgiving. Why are you worth forgiving? Because if, you're, if you can't be forgiven, then you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We are all born into a sin nature. We talked about that literally from the beginning, that, that, that there is sin in us. It separates us. That's the thing we were sharing when we got here. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you will at death spend eternity in hell separated from him. But in salvation that only comes from Jesus, you can be forgiven. And because of that forgiveness, he grants you joint heirness with him, not a stepchild, not a grandkid, not a cousin. You are a brother or sister of Jesus, acknowledged by the king, accepted by him to come into his kingdom that he's prepared for you. You're worth forgiving. Second Peter 3, 9 reads, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Here we have Peter himself. Peter, the guy that screwed up so much that Jesus was just like, I love you, go feed my sheep, you idiot. And so he's with him constantly, encouraging him, loving him. And when Jesus ascends into heaven, he's, he's, he's lived, he's died, he's resurrected, he's given a commission, he's standing, he goes up into heaven, there's all these disciples standing there, those that followed him, the 11, plus about 110, 20 other people standing there, they're all just looking up, watching him. And they're just going, he's coming back, he's, I know he's coming back. And an angel comes, and it's like, hey, he told you where to go and what to do, go do it. Well, he said he's coming back, it doesn't matter, go do what he said. He'll be back, but right now, go do what he said. So as Peter's writing this, that's exactly what he's saying. He's not being slow, he's not sitting there, you know, waiting on, he's doing it for our sake. He's not, people are, you can be waiting on Jesus to come back, but he's going to come back when he comes back. We have a job to go and do. We have been called to go and do things, so we must be about his business and going and sharing. So is he coming back? Absolutely. Totally believe it. Is it today? I don't know. But he'll come back. 
But he's not he's being patient for our sake, for your sake, because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everyone to repent, to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to come to know his son intimately. The one that created you so intimately wants to know you intimately and to know his son intimately so he can save your soul. In John three sixteen and 17, because 17 is so important. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life forever. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And Jesus' job was not to come here and just point out the wrongness. Oh, you're sinning and you're dancing too close to your girlfriend and you really should put that bottle down. And you should. He's like, I'm here to bring, to bring fulfillment of, of prophecy to fulfill the thing that my father has told me to do, to bring salvation to this world and to show you that I love you. Follow me. Let me be your savior. Let me take your place. And that's the thing we have to realize is that he did this because our creation was following. Follow. Adam and Eve sinned. They did what God told them not to do. You can do anything here you want, just don't eat off that one. You can do anything in this. You can eat anything. Just don't eat on that one. Stay away. And then Satan comes. And he begins his web of deceit and his lies. And he begins to, to taunt them and to encourage them to do what they knew was wrong. But they succumb to it. And then we read the next passage in Scripture. And we hear the thundering voice of God screaming, Where are you? What have you done? I need to beat you. You should be sick of yourselves. What made you think you could do this? You're so idiots. God never said that, people. He said, where are you? What have you done? I'm so sorry. Let me make clothing for you. Because those leaves you've got on you, those are going to itch and burn. Shouldn't be wearing those. And God made a sacrifice. There had never been blood spilled on this earth until that day. And an animal died. God did it himself and created clothing for Adam and Eve. And he said, I will cover you because you can't cover yourself. And then thousands of years later, we have Jesus leaving the throne of heaven. Because in Genesis, it says that the spirits hovered above the water. And Jesus himself quotes and says, in the beginning, this is what was created. And we were creating. They were all there together. He says, I will leave, Father, and I will go, and I will cover them with my sacrifice. I will be the last one whose blood has to be spilt so that they can be right with you. He comes to bring that to us. And if you're hearing those words, I'm disappointed in you. You've really, you've really hurt me. That is not the voice of God. That is the voice of Satan lying to you about what God sees you as. All the wrath of heaven was settled on the cross with Jesus. You cannot make God mad at you because all the wrath has been settled. And if all the wrath has been settled, and that's what the Word of God says, then guess what we have to believe? It's been settled. So God can't be more in love with you than He is right now. And He can't be disappointed you if you've been covered by Jesus because at Jesus' baptism, my son in whom I'm well pleased. When we're covered by him, 
by his blood, by his sacrifice, he looks at us and says, my son, my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased, because Jesus has covered us. If that doesn't make you excited and will make you run around this room, I don't know what would. But we're going to keep going. So you are worth knowing. You're worth forgiving. You're also worth this. You are worth unifying. To be unified by the gospel is what we're, we're looking at here. And the greatest example of this that we have that I know of is Acts 2, 42 through 47. And we find the first church. We find what happens when, when Peter and the disciples quit looking up and they go and do what they were told to do. The reward for unity, for doing what God called us to do. So I, there's a couple words in here I want you to, to pay attention to with your ears. I will emphasize them for you as we read. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Did you hear the unity? I mean, if this is the southern translation, it's like, all y'all, we done gone done this. They're all in this together. They're, they're really doing everything they can to be unified. We have struggled for years, hundreds of years as a church, as the global church, the capital C church, to be unified because we will allow Facebook and YouTube and everything else in the world divide us. We'll allow Satan to tell us what isn't true, to give us falsehoods and lies, and we'll believe those because we can't be unified. Because our opinions and our desires, what we think should happen, will dictate more of what happens in the room instead of what the Word of God says. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. We've been trying to get church right since, 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 since this, since Acts 2. We've been trying to get it right. I think Acts 2 really got it right. They had four things they did. When they did those four things, God added to their number. We do a lot of things now. If we could just kind of get back and be unified. And there's a difference in being united and being uni- unified. It's like this. There was a farmer who had these chickens and they didn't get along. Every time they'd come out to eat, they'd just get in a fight. And he was like, i got to do something to bring these two together. So he sat and he pondered for a while. I got it. So he went and got a string. And he tied their legs together. And then he picked them both up. He walked out to a clothesline. Threw them over the clothesline. What he discovered is that while they were united, they were not unified. Because apparently when chickens are hanging upside down, they really hate each other. And so they went at it. And a lot of times in our churches, we're like that too. We think just because we gather together that, that we are really united. But oh, what happens when we begin to leave? Oh, what happens when we go, I don't think that agrees with my opinions. And we're not united. We may be together in one room or together in one place, but we're not unified. Because we don't know what we agree on. And one thing I adopted in my personal practice years ago as I meeting a ministry is I would meet a lot of people of different denominations, religions, and faith. And we always wanted to debate things. Well, a lot of times the debate was brought. Instruments in church or not, Pastor, what do you think? Obviously instruments, duh. Um, 
Should we do this? Should we do that? Don't you believe this? Should, should we do full immersion baptism or can we just squirt them with a water gun? I mean, it's all these things we want to, we're going to continue to disagree on. And I adopted this a long time ago. I said, hey, how about we just talk about Jesus? And if we can start at the foundation of Jesus, which is what he told Peter, I'll build my church on, right? If we can start at the foundation of how do you get into heaven? How do you find eternity with God? And if the answer is anything other than Jesus Christ himself, then we're going to disagree on everything. Because we have to start with what we believe. What is truth? And so, church, I would tell you the same thing would, would exist in your homes, would exist in your workplaces, your recreation places, no matter what. If you're having debates, find out what you agree on first. Build from the platform of Jesus because that's the only foundation we have to stand on. And then stand on the word of God from everything else. The other things are practices. But Jesus, when Moses was, was saying, being told by God, go tell Pharaoh this, he goes, well, I mean, I can go do it, but who am I going to tell them sent me? And God's response is very interesting. He says, you tell them, I am that I am sent me. And then we find in the Gospels, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's the same statement. I am that I am and I am the way are the same statement. It's commonality. It's unifying statements that we as believers have to know. Because again, if we can't know what we agree on, all we'll know is what we disagree on. And the world is constantly looking at us and going, all you do is disagree. All you do is disagree. Here's everything you're against. What are we for? Well, if we want to know that we matter, we need to be for Jesus. And God has chosen the church to be the unifying body on earth. And Jesus came to set captives free and to bring about unity. And we as the church have this obligation to do just that. And again, in the text, they had all things. They all, they were in common. It's what the church did to find unity. Not to stand around and find what they disagreed on. They made it very, very clear. You've seen me this morning put these on and take these off. Put these on. And, and, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. This, is, this has been the biggest struggle post-40. It's wearing glasses. Like I, I mean, my hair's going, I've colored it once. It's not happening again. But, my, you know, I'm not losing it yet. Um, the body shape still looks like a pear or a frog that put on blue jeans. Um, it's really odd, but my gla- having to wear these things, like all through elementary school, I found out I was blind, I got glasses, and, and that was weird, except for my mom always got the grand- grandpa style. Y'all know what the grandpa style is? Big silver with the bar across them. I just made fun of some people in the room, and I apologize. I know those are trendy now, but back in the 80s. But we had to wear those. I could read signs, everything was great. But I, you know, I mean, I, I've been a pear-shaped person most of my life. Uh, except for a couple of years in high school when it all stretched out. But other than that, got made fun of a lot. I, you know, got called fat and ugly and those kind of things. And I had this big poofy hair too. And so I would always go, I, 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 was, I didn't want to get in fights, but I was pretty good at them. And so I would hear things, people make fun of me, and I'd go, hold my glasses. And I'd hand them to somebody, and man, man we were rolling now. We're going at it. And uh, I mean, it, it's big, but once it gets rolling, it's hard to stop. And so I would go and do these things just, just because that's the way I was raised. So putting these back on now to have to read is like, it's a burden, it's a chore. But I've realized that when things seem unclear, when I put these lenses on, I mean, the word is illuminated and it's sharp and there's no way to misinterpret what I'm reading. We cannot accomplish the vision of the church if we're viewing it through anything else other than the mission we've been given. And when Jesus says, my yoke's easy and my burden is light, he really means it. 
just seriously go and talk about me. Go and tell people about me. Tell about the wonderful things I've done. Tell about what you know about me. But we can't do that if we're viewing it through any other lens other than the gospel. If our, if our lens is, well, hey, I, wanna, I, I want people to like me. Well, they're not going to like you because you talk about Jesus. This world doesn't want to hear Jesus. Now, they want to hear Facebook. They want to hear YouTube. They don't want to hear what the Word of God says. And they sure don't want to hear it from your mouth. So they're not going to like you if you do that. So put that out of your head. I'm going to gain popularity. It's not going to happen. I'm going to gain wealth. That's not going to happen. We have to see our mission through the vision that we've been given. And until we see that, we will never advance the church. We will never continue to advance the gospel because we're looking at it with the wrong lenses. And look, this is really, really simple as well. This is why for, for Journey Church, this is why life groups are so important. It's so important for us to be in a group with people, to be with like-minded individuals who will surround themselves with us so we begin to do what? Like the first church did. Speak the same language. Eat very similar foods. Work together. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Very simple, but we can't do it if we're, if we're constantly avoiding being together with people. Another service we do as well to find the lens of, of, of what we need to, to carry out the vision is our dream team. I fully believe you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. It's what he spent a majority of his life doing was serving, meeting people, loving them. And we get an opportunity to do that from the parking lot all the way into the building. Guys, those are just two ways to do it. And I, I get really excited about those two ways because it's the easiest thing you can do is to be with like-minded people that love you, that love the Lord, that want to see you struggle and, and want to carry you through those struggles. And, and to be serving is what we're called to do. So now that we know what our worth is, number one, that we are worth knowing, that God knows you deeply, intimately. That you're worth forgiving. Because without Jesus' forgiveness that covers our sins, it's all, it's all worthless. And that you're worth uniting in the gospel. Let's switch gears a little bit. Because in, in light of that, God is worth making known. It's worth know, him, being known by him so that we can make him known to the world that wants to reject him, that wants to say that's, that's, that's false, that's not real. He is worth making known. And when I look at this passage we're about to read, I'm telling you right now, first service, I was about ready to just jump off the stage and break legs, my legs. But I was, ready, I was just so excited reading this. And as I was getting ready to this message, like, this is the one, the one passage out of all of this. It just, just makes it all explode. So if I get a little excited by doing this, I'm not trying to scare anybody. But, I mean, this, this is truth. This is what motivates us. So if in this moment, if you want to clap, if you want to say yes, if you want to get excited with me, I'm going to get a little louder when you do it. If you don't, I'm still going to be loud because I'm excited about my Jesus. Okay? So here we go. Uh, this is out of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. And God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way... Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. 
So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. Whew, that's great. And he loves, uh, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are in Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak of Christ when people plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who knew, who never sinned to be the offering through our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Does that not excite you a little bit? Is that not amazing news of what he has come to do for us? He is uniting us and he's asking us to be in group with him. He's asking us to be ambassadors with him in this gift of taking the word, the word of Jesus to the world. And I know if you've heard, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need us. And I would say, yes, he does not need us. He sure didn't ask me my opinion when it came time to play stars in the sky. He didn't say, how high should that mountain be, Brandon? I mean, I know you like, what, what do you think? Brandon, what color should your facial hair be? I didn't even get asked that question. I got the flannel face. Does he need me? No. Cool secret. Cool thing. He invited me to be in partnership with him. As the word says, an ambassador. I got to take a trip to Uganda years ago. And um, as we were driving through the country, I got to see the U.S. Embassy there. And it is massive, number one. Really, really big. It looks like a fortress. And the missionary I was with said, hey, if anything happens, we will drive and we will go into this place and it's like we're on U.S. soil. So in that U.S. embassy, although it's in a foreign country, everything that happens inside those walls happens as if it was a U.S. native dirt. And I began to see this picture of what we've been called to do by God in the passage we just read. He's letting us be the ones who, who bring reconciliation, the word of reconciliation to the world. So it's almost like wherever we are, we're toting a flag and we drop it in the ground and we claim it in the name of, of Christ as we share the word. And where we're standing is a representation of that word because we're supposed to be the bearers of the truth as we bring it. Not opinion, but of truth. And so we get to do that. We get to be his ambassadors. Does he need us? No. Does he choose us? Yes. He calls us and asks us to be a part of it. We've been called to do this, to make the name of Jesus known. So after the fall of man and after thousands of years and what Jesus has done, we get the call to be ambassadors. And again, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to use you. Because you matter. And whatever lie Satan has told you, stop believing it. Open the word. Find out for yourself. Our next steps are very simple. You have to stop listening to the screams of the enemy. And the enemy is Satan. He is screaming at you. Journey Church, whoever's listening, right now Satan is screaming at you. And he is using every opportunity possible. He could be screaming at you from your, from your past. He could be screaming at you right now in this service. He could be screaming at you on social media. He could be screaming at you many different ways. And he's saying, don't listen, don't trust, it's false, it's fake, stop. Or he may speak enough 
to make it, well, really? That's what he did with Eve and Adam in the garden. Did God really say? Man, that's a great question. Did God really say? And they were like, ah, uh, maybe, he, maybe, I don't know. You know what he didn't? If we're going to listen to Satan, we're going to believe what he tells us. We've got to know the word. We have to speak the language of truth. And here's another truth for us in this. You have to accept the free gift of salvation that only comes from Jesus. I truly believe there's one person or two people in this room who do not know him as your Savior. You do not know the free gift of salvation. You don't even understand what the gift of, of, of freedom is. And until you say, Jesus, I need you, I've tried, I can't, I, there's no way I get to heaven without you. Until you make that acknowledgement in your own heart, you'll never know salvation and what true freedom feels like. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, I mean freedom from your past sins, freedom from your present sins, freedom from your future sins. You will never know that freedom. Also, Accept who He, who God, says you are. Accept who He says you are. There's no other acceptance you can bring. There's nothing you can do to talk about how horrible you are, how much you're no good at this, whatever. Because again, He's called you. He's the one who says, hey, you're my son. You are my son. You're my daughter. I love you so much. You've got to accept who He says you are. Here's our next step. Start reading and learning the true character of God. And I mean really, start reading and learning the true character of God. If in your mind you truly believe He's a guy that's just angry, He's mad at you, He wants to hit you with a cane and beat you up and just talk about how horrible a person you are and bring up all your past sins and hold them in front of your face, that's not God. No, He says, hey, I'll rescue you from that. I'll redeem you from that. I'll forgive you of all that. And when I've forgotten it, which humans can't do, I'll forget it and I'll forgive it and I'll never remember it. There's a couple things we need to know in that too. You can't know who God is and how he responds if you don't read his word. You won't know his true character if you're not reading his word. We have it in every form possible. Digital, paper, I mean, you just get it anyway. You know, a beautiful thing about journey, if you don't know how to read the Bible, I'm not saying you don't know how to read, but if you don't know how to read the Bible, we will walk with you to do that. We do a new believers class. We want to walk with you so you can understand the greatness of who God is and how to read his word with intention and with great purpose. And the last thing is this. Surround yourself with Christ followers. And I know what most people would have said. Why didn't you just put Christians there, Brandon? Shouldn't that be what that means? It should be. But in our day and time, Christian means a lot of different things. It means a lot of different religions, denominations, and people say I'm a Christian all the time and they don't do Christ-like things. And so it's kind of gotten a bad taste a little bit. So I just think we just call Christ followers because that really just narrows it down. So I really follow Jesus. I don't follow someone who preaches or I don't follow this code of conduct. I follow Jesus. And what he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And, one, and a couple of ways we can surround ourselves, we've, we've talked about, you can join or you can lead a life group. And I'm telling you, and so many of you are involved in life groups, and I can't thank you enough for that. I can speak very intimately about mine sitting around a circle in my house. And, and, and talking with people and listening to those, having a common language, struggling together in prayer, watching marriages be restored, watching children come to salvation. 
miracles upon miracles upon miracles are happening because people are sitting in a circle in homes all across our area and talking about the greatness of God and listening to others and being encouraged by others. If you are missing out on that, I'm telling you, you're robbing yourself of joy. Robbing yourself of a joy that, can't be, that I can't even express to you. And then the same thing, serve on the dream team. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. Begin serving. Just say where you want to work or just go, I'll work anywhere. I've never seen a group of people more dedicated to the Lord than 105 degrees parking lot waving good morning. Welcome to Journey. Wasn't just sweat pouring off of them. How do you do that? It's got to be the love of Jesus. I don't pay enough to, <laughs> for that to be a great job. But they love Jesus so much, they want to stand in the parking lot and make sure people are safe and that they have a great experience. That happens all across our campus, guys, because people want to serve. They want the joy of serving, and that's how we get it because we know who, who God's called us to be. You matter. I don't know how many more times I could say it, but you do. He loves you. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you for this room. Lord, I thank you for giving us this opportunity. Lord, I I pray that in this space, Father, that if there'd be one or two or however many God that you know, again, you know them, but they don't know you. That God, they would realize the need for salvation in their life right now. And if that is you that's sitting here today and you say, I don't know who Jesus is. He's, he's not my Savior. A simple prayer from your mind, from your, from your mouth, is all you would need to say. If you want to use something of a model, it's Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner. I know I'll spend eternity in hell unless you save me. So would you please forgive me? Would you come into my life and change me? Make me a new creation like your word says? I love you. I want to learn to love you more. And thank you. Something as simple as that can be the difference for eternity you and for the rest of us who know yes I've been saved by Jesus but I really struggle knowing that I matter to him he loves you and he can't love you any more than he loves you right now and it's impossible for him to love you less If at any point this morning you feel like you would like to share with someone, our prayer team is around the room, ready to receive you, ready to talk to you, to listen to you, and to pray for you, and point you in a direction of a next step if you need it. And Father, we do thank you again for this morning. Pray that you would continue to bless your word. And let it move and permeate into hearts, God. And do what only you can do. And to you, Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving us eternally to the depths of walking this earth, living perfectly, laying down your life, conquering sin and death, and offering us the chance to be in eternity with you. We love you.